We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a transformative principle by listening to amazing leaders tell their stories. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. And please like the Facebook page for this podcast, facebook.com slash Transformative Principle. Transformative Principle number 83 with Dr. Robert Dillon. I hope that you enjoy listening to this interview with Dr. Robert Dillon. He is inspiring and has been helping me for a long time uh, know how to be a better leader. In this episode, we're going to talk about first and second order change. And it's a great concept that he knows way better than I do, and I really appreciate him sharing his information with me, and I hope you learn a lot from it as well. All right, I'd like to welcome our guest to the Transformative Principle today, uh, Dr. Robert Dillon. Bob, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's uh... It's a pleasure to get to talk to somebody all the way in the state of Alaska. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. I have noticed that um, I've had to get up a lot earlier in the morning to uh, to schedule people. Luckily, we're doing this at a decent time, 7 o'clock, but I've gotten up as early as 5 o'clock to schedule with people that are on the East Coast. And uh, sometimes that <laughs> my voice sounds a little bit deeper, so if I sound more normal <laughs> today... That could be why I got a better night's sleep. Yeah, it's funny actually. I always, uh, I always dread having uh, West Coast work to do on Friday afternoon. It's like lunchtime, and I'm ready for a cocktail on Friday. Afternoon. <laughs> People are like, "Can you do five o'clock on Friday afternoon?" I'm like, "No, not really." But yeah, you make it work, right? Uh, that's part of the gig when you are learning from people around the world. So you just make it work. That's right, and you know it's. Who who needs that extra hour of sleep or that extra hour of of hanging out? It's it's usually worth it. I found so. 
So anyway, let's let's get into it. Um, yeah. The other day we were we're in a Voxer group together, the Principal PLN um, Voxer group. That's from that podcast of the same name, uh, which is a great podcast. If nobody is listening to that, make sure you go download that also. Um, I mean, still listen to this podcast, but that's a <laughs> a good additional one to listen to. Um, and um, I don't remember the exact conversation, but you started talking about. Um, level one change and level two change and how, and with the way that you said it, it just made total sense and, and it really resonated with me. So do you mind talking a little bit about, about those theories? Yes. Yeah, so you know, I'm sure there's folks that are much more technically down the road there, but it's always made sense for me is that as a leader, um, I've, you know, I've worked as a middle school principal for 15 years and three different places. And that first year you come in, you know, um, Folks will tell you, you know, all you should do is listen the first year. And I've just never been that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not my style. But what you do is you find out in that first year, first, second year, you're making a lot of first order change. You're looking at stuff and saying, like, why have we always been doing this? That doesn't make any sense. And um, you keep turning over rocks and there's garbage underneath the rock and you fix it. Uh, and you collaborate with folks around it. People are excited because they haven't liked that. Maybe they haven't vocalized it, but they haven't liked it either. Um, but they're excited about those changes because uh, it's like, you know, moving the deck chairs on the Titanic or, you know, painting the office. It's all those sort of things that look good, but over time aren't the depth of change necessary to really transform an organization. Uh, they're important by all means because people need to see that you're a change agent. People see need to see that you are open to listening to them and making change and they grow trust with first-order change. But we know that organizations that really do well uh, are able to evolve into uh, that second-order change. And what I – you know, you go from management to leadership. Uh, and I think my, uh, my first book that I wrote was all really about like the difference between first-order change and second-order change and – you know, unfortunately, I think way too many principals uh, get to a point where they're doing first order change for all of their career, and mm -hmm. the second part never comes along. Okay, so to make sure I understand correctly, first order change is just changing things because you're looking at it new. You're you're not you haven't been doing it for years, and so you're just coming in and and changing things on a low level. Um, and second order change is where you have some bigger vision that really moves the needle that really makes things happen. Is that a, a fair summary or did I miss something? Yeah, no, I think so. I think it's that the second order change is the stuff that's sticky. Uh, that's stuff that'll really last after you're gone as the leader there, um, that will really start to unify people. And actually I think it's the stuff that liberates professionals because uh, you know our, our teachers deserve a high level of professionalism. And once as an organization you're made those changes where everybody says this is who we're about, we make decisions based on these sort of things, we're now really moving the heavy boulders of you know whether that's scheduling or that's grading or that's community engagement or whatever your big boulders are, that you're really getting after those now. Um, people start to say, I'm a part of something special going on here. And usually when people start feeling like they're a part of a special organization, it's because second order change is starting to take hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think I remember now what you were responding to. I think it was Doug 
Tim, who's I think in his second year at his school, was saying that at first people were giving him a lot of feedback, um, and now nobody was really giving feedback about what was going on. Um, talk about what that means in this first and second order change and buy-in and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I think with first order change, uh, it's pretty easy to sit down and say like, how do we want to do this? What do we want to do with the playground schedule? You know, is that working for everybody? No, 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 no. You know, this isn't fair. This isn't right. And so you get it all juggled around and it's good. Um, and folks are excited that that feels better for them and that's easier for them and it's made things more efficient. Uh, oftentimes with second order change, it's messy. Like uh, the answers aren't obvious. Um, mm-hmm. Things are kind of in beta for a long time. People have to exist in an uncomfortable state, which isn't really, really easy for uh, uh, teachers in general to kind of have disequilibrium. And so um, oftentimes folks will step back from that because they're uncomfortable. And so you get less feedback as a leader. And what oftentimes people do instead of saying, no, 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 this is really important. This is the stuff we're going to talk about. They go back to first order change because it felt really good. And you slide back into management mode, back mm-hmm. into management mode, back into management mode, when really as a leader, you have to resist that. You have to be courageous enough to say, this is the stuff. This is the stuff that's going to matter long term. Um, you know, and sometimes it's about quality curriculum. Sometimes it's about really figuring out what assessments matter and which ones don't. Um, so, you know, sometimes it has to do with like, who, what are we really about? What does, how does an elementary school truly get kids excited about learning? Um, and none of that stuff's simple. And none of that stuff is a one meeting, check it off the list, to-do list sort of uh, item. It's a, it's a grind. Um, but it's the stuff we have to do if we really want outstanding organizations. Yeah. And, and I think what you said about um, giving professionals um, – it unleashes them and makes them feel like they can do anything in the world. When you get to that level, then they realize that those first order change items really don't matter. Those were just the things that were preventing everybody from seeing what the real needs were or preventing everybody from making the real changes because those first order things were, were little things don't have an impact and we could survive in that same way for a long time, probably. Right. Yeah. You know, I bought an older house uh, recently and uh, there was a water stain and I took some, you know, um, primer paint that's supposed to kill that and, you know, painted over it, painted a new color. To me, that's first order change. I never actually took the plaster off the wall to see if there was a problem behind there. Mm. Um, And, you know, a lot of folks make that, you know, mistake and they say, you know, we can we can pretty this up a little bit and we'll be fine and we'll roll past it. And there's, you know, I, I spent a lot of time um, as a leader learning about systems thinking. And just if you're not at that level of your leadership, it's just so important to dig deeper. Uh, you know, Peter, uh, Peter Senge wrote uh, Schools That Work, mm-hmm. I believe, or... I think that's the name of his book, but it's an incredible piece about like how school leaders really need to be at a a deep level of service. Um, And, you know, even giving people um, 
what they need as opposed to what they want. I heard that recently. Seth Godin said that recently, and that really stuck for me, is that part of our job is to not only give people what they uh, want, but what they truly need. Right, even when they don't know that's what they need yet. Yeah, that's a hard part. Yeah. Um, So what I'm thinking about as you're talking is what are the what are the things that I've done this year in my first years as a principal of my school that have been first order change and what's been second order change? And do you have any, um, any strategies for helping someone figure out where they're spending most of their time in that? Yeah. So I, I, one of the things I, I, when I'm out and about, um, talking or keynoting or consulting or whatever, I, I oftentimes talk about playing the short game and the long, long game at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I just think as a leader there, it's a worthy question at least once a week to ask how many things have I done to support the long game this week? Um, and you know, if, if you can't put a few conversations uh, maybe it's some document you read. Maybe it's a meeting you set up. Maybe it's a new structure that you have that you're trying out. Um, it's very, very easy to get caught in the short game. Mm-hmm. We're, we're making sure um, you know people aren't people are eating lunch and people aren't getting hurt and people are getting back on you know out the door at the end of the day and walking home or riding the bus or whatever that looks like and. Uh, um, but I think we just need to be intentional about that. And I think we need to have allies that hold us accountable for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's why I really have kind of enjoyed uh, the Voxer group, right? And you're hearing things like sometimes when you're on social media, you feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm the worst principal ever. I'm not doing any of that <laughs> stuff. But the trouble is you're still in the 5% that are doing some of that stuff. Um, and there's 90% of folks, 80% of folks that – hadn't even thought to do any of that stuff. Um, and so the fact that you're having discerning moments about I should be doing that stuff still propels you into the 5%, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I agree with you there. Um, you know, that's one of the things that doing this podcast has really helped me see is that I'm I'm not getting into the weeds with, um, with most principals and other people that I have as guests on this show. Um, what we're doing is talking about higher level things. And what I've seen is that's really helped me focus my conversations on those higher level things. And obviously not all the time, you know, the long and short game happens in both, you know, throughout the week. Um, but when it's, when I have an opportunity to play that long game and to have those conversations, I'm ready. I feel more ready as soon as a teacher opens themselves up to that, that we can just go right away and and not have to wait for a buildup. So I've had a couple of teachers this year that I've worked um, pretty closely with to have those bigger conversations. And it, when you said that it was a freeing thing for those professional teachers, um, it's amazing how true that is because these teachers have been saying things like this is exactly what we should be doing. And when we've started to have these um, first order change conversations, they've kind of like not tuned out, but just kind of stepped back and said, this isn't really all that important. So let's focus on, yeah. on the things that are. 
I, I, I will still always remember the story. I was a first year assistant principal, way too young probably to be a first year assistant principal. <laughs> but uh, I remember in a faculty meeting saying, if we spend as much time talking about instruction as we did gum around here, maybe we'd get some things done. And the whole room went silent. And uh, <laughs> man, I, you know how you just want to like suck back a few words? And like, did that really just come out of my mouth? Uh, um, yeah, that wasn't one of my shining moments in leadership, but uh, I'll never forget. But it's, it was exactly my fault. You know, I didn't want to be talking about things that really didn't help kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really hard thing as a leader sometimes to say the problem that you're bringing to me right now ranks 158th in the problems I'm dealing with. But I have to treat it as the number one problem in the moment because you're right in front of me. Um to me, that was one of the hardest things as a middle school principal to do mm-hmm. is to be able to be present for someone else's primary problem when I knew it was about a hundredth on my list. Yeah, um, and that's I, I, you know, I think I've gotten better over time, but I probably still struggle in that area. Um, so you you said that thing that you're not very proud of right this moment, but did the conversation change at that school or? Did everybody just hate your guts at that point? No, I, you know, I, it was actually a really grace filled place. I look back and I, I would say that like they, they, they handled that pretty well. And I, I think they appreciated, um, a lot of the other work that I was doing. And so over time it was kind of forgotten about, but, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, I, you know, if you are doing good things for teachers every day, when you do make the mistakes you're going to make, because we all do, yeah, I think that people will more apt to give you a break. If they see someone truly busting their hump every day for kids and working as hard or harder than anybody around them, um, the, the good people in your organization will cut you a break when the bad stuff comes up. Yeah, I totally agree. So sometimes we we see things that are going on and we we really do need to say something as the leader like you did, you know? Yeah. And, and how do you, how do you decide, decide when to be that blunt and when to, um, provide a, a gentler approach to that conversation and when to just not say anything at all? Yeah. So like the intentionality of that, right? You hope that it's not, you hope you can be intentional in those moments. Um, you know, I think one of the things I learned and I continue to learn is that if you make a blanket statement about something that you're concerned about, the only people that will hear it are the people that are currently doing it correct. Um, I don't know if that's that sounds like maybe something Todd Whitaker would have said, right? That mm-hmm. he would have said something like, you know, if you have an individual problem, then you need to individually deal with it. Um, and so I, I've gotten better and I think as a leader being able to call somebody in and start with help me understand. I mean, I think that might be the best conversation starter for tough conversations that I know of. Mm-hmm. Help me understand this at a better level because I'm sure that my emotion around it isn't correct because I don't have the right information. Um, that disarms a lot of conversations that could be potentially, you know, volatile or nasty or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I think that's a piece. And then, I've always felt that I've been able to kind of build up those key communicators in the building that I know 
will take a message back to an audience in a way that I couldn't say, and they'll say it the right way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, who are those four or five teachers or teacher leaders in your building that really want leadership opportunities? And they see communicating with their colleagues as part of their teacher leader mission. Um, and then how do you tap into those folks? I, I, I think that's a really important piece too. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's incredibly important. Um, I like the idea of finding which teachers can deliver a message um, in the right way. Talk to me a little bit more about about why you would choose to to do that. Yeah, um, you know, I there's a deep belief that I have is that people need to hear the same thing from multiple people in different ways. So yeah, they might have heard it from me in the faculty meeting, and that you know may not have worked. But what that person really needs to hear from is they're sitting in the bleachers, watching their son's little league game, and another teacher friend of theirs who's also on that team. They're talking shop there in the bleachers because their kids are you know eating dirt out in the outfield. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how they're going to receive that, and so. Um, I think we have to triangulate messaging. Um, you know, um, teachers need to hear from teachers and us and parents, all the same sort of thing. So, I mean, there's also uh, an idea that how do you get a parent group that's actually feeding information to your teachers too? Uh, I think that's tricky. I don't know that I ever pulled that off, but I think that triangulation is really important um, as you try to dig deeper into what your core mission is. Because one thing I didn't mention is that once teachers really, really know, here is what we're about, then they can really start to take risks and innovate because they know they're not violating the core mission. They're not, you know, doing something that they're going to have to apologize later for. Mm-hmm. Then the creativity comes out and um, teachers are actually doing the things they're passionate about. They can say, hey, this fits with what we are and who we what we do. I don't need to go ask about this. I can just do this. And if it goofs up, the leader's going to know that I was intentional about it, and he's going to say, hey, thanks for taking that risk. Let's fail forward. Um, And so I think that's why, you know, communicating in a whole bunch of different ways and getting to that core mission is all deeply embedded in second-order change. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's a a great insight. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how you get teachers to feel comfortable making those changes we've you know we've said a bunch of things about that how do you get teachers to feel comfortable about taking those risks in addition to what we've talked about before let's go a little deeper into that yeah um you know, i it was interesting i i take a lot of wisdom and it really it's lateral wisdom sometimes um i don't know if you've been through like cooperative learning training but one of the things i always remember about that training was you know, great structures, great doing all those things. But the key was when you practice doing cooperative learning in the beginning, you don't do it at a high stakes level. You don't do it around the content of that unit for an assessment that's important. Mm-hmm. Do it with something that's silly. And so how do you ask teachers to take risks on a really, really important thing? You need to find ways for them to take risks that are very low stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, that's why we see teachers taking risks like 
they're at the talent show and they dress up or they, you know, do something silly. Um, so silliness in your organization is often low stakes risk taking. And so how do you promote everyone in your organization to have those silly moments? Because those are risks. And then celebrate that so they know that you celebrate that type of risk taking. And then that can translate back over into content and into curriculum development and into uh, different instructional design. But uh, I think too often people are saying, take risks at the highest stakes, highest mm-hmm. difficult level, and we don't scaffold to that. And I think that makes it really hard. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great insight. I'm really glad I asked you that because I think that that key takeaway, silliness is low stakes risk taking is so powerful because as, as educators, we love to get down on our kids level and be silly with them, whatever grade level it is that we're teaching. People often say that elementary teachers are, um, are great for elementary because they like to be with that age group and act like that age group and middle school. It's even more pronounced, you know, and then high school, they like to be with that young group of kids and, and, and act how they do and being silly, I think does really is risk taking and, and it is a risk, but it's also a very powerful way to, um, to build relationships as well, but then to show that you're willing to do things that are not typical and you're willing to go out there and try something different. And if you can do that, then it's a little bit easier to make, take the next step and, you know, bring that into the classroom into the academic part of the classroom. And I think that's a great insight. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. As you have heard by now, I have joined the Edu Podcast Network, the podcasters network for educators by Mr. Nessie. And I'm pretty excited about doing this because I feel like I am part of a great group of other podcasters who really care about providing high quality content to educators to help them learn in a way that is comfortable and good for them. I hope that you uh, will listen to the other great podcasts on there and that you will uh, support the network by downloading and rating and reviewing all the shows that you listen to. And I appreciate your support in this show. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones and follow the podcast on Twitter at TRNFRM Principal. This week, I would like to highlight the House of Hashtag EdTech podcast that explores how technology is changing the way teachers teach and the impact that technology is having in education. That is hosted by at Mr. Nessie, Christopher J. Nessie. You can follow him on Twitter. He is also the father of the Edu Podcast Network. So I hope you go listen to his podcast and learn a lot from him. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B-E 
to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.